Chapter 3 Renfall Carmoyle was what Irish people called a big house, and ownership remained in the original family, of which the eldest surviving member was Ethan Blake. At the height of the prosperity, there had been rumours that he planned to convert the estate into a video gaming theme park. Locally, this was a popular notion. The area needed an attraction, and the Soul Castle Adventure Park would have placed it firmly on the tourist trail. In anticipation of this, the motorway service station outside the nearby town of Newcastle West had been expensively restyled as the Ethan Blake Plaza. The locals continued to call it Ryan's. But the development of Carmoyle had mysteriously fallen through. Leah switched on her computer and Ethan Blake's reserve vanished as he scrolled through images of a Victorian mansion built in the style of a Venetian palazzo perched on top of a West Limerick hill. She gazed at the screen and the house stared back at her, magnificent and bizarre. It was a decorative extravaganza, an expression of power built by the ruling classes of another century. It looked utterly unsuited to modern living. We have a wonderful caretaker, but the whole place is going to need a complete revamp. Here's what I have in mind. Ethan Blake's eyes were alight with the passion of a Californian who has finally found his roots, aristocratic ones at that. Words like coins and plinths and voussoirs fell around him like rain, and his hands moved as he spoke, building castles in the air around him. Leah looked more closely at the land around the house and thought that she could make out the grassy outline of an ancient fort. Carmoil was built on the site of a much older building, the high ground chosen thousands of years before so that people could see their enemies coming. Whatever predated this mansion had been built to keep things out. Carmoil was not a fortress, but it did not look like a house that would welcome change. Ethan Blake, who had not paused to draw breath, was talking about ways of introducing Californian standards of plumbing to a structure that had been designed with eight bedrooms and a single toilet. I want you to redesign the interior, he said. Open brief, full creative autonomy, flexible budget. You'll report directly to me. That is, if you want the job. Leah reflected briefly on this week's lineup of creditors' meetings and the daily phone calls from the credit card company and the bank. Then she looked at the house, ivy entwined in its marble colonnade. It looked familiar, even though she was almost certain that she had never seen it before. Weird. Ronan's voice in her head told her to trust her instincts, but her intuition was pulling her in several directions at once. There was something about the house that drew her towards it, and something else that told her to stay away. May I sleep on it? Ethan Blake looked at her closely, his features impassive. He had a photograph of her on his home computer, taken in a forest a long time ago. She looked like a wood nymph of dried bracken and autumn leaves. There was something of that otherworldliness about her now, but also an undercurrent of purpose. He could sense her opportunism. A muscle flickered below his eyelid and he brought it under control. Some of his business associates would have recognised this as the expression that he wore 
when pushing an agenda that had not been fully revealed. Leah did not. She thought that he looked tired. Ethan Blake flashed his teeth again. I'll take that as a yes, he said. After seeing what you did with the HQ, and now this place, there's no way I'm hiring anyone else. He paused and looked out the window. Some of the buildings on the other side of the river were bricked up, but most were occupied. The squatters had taken down the barriers and brought their families in from the street. Didn't that used to be a hotel? Leah craned her neck. Before the hardship, there had been hotels on both sides of the quays. It closed. There are people living in it now. Dublin had always had a problem with homelessness. Now, with mass migration from the poisoned midlands, it had become infinitely worse. Are you safe? He indicated the door below. Leah laughed. I am, because of the two-year stew. Your man with the cafe downstairs, he makes dinner for the people living on the boardwalk. They can't cook because of the risk of fire. It's two euro for a takeaway box, and if you don't have it, you can give it to him another time. That's generous. He can afford it. People who eat there during the day pay 50 euro for the same stew, only the portions are smaller. The river had risen with the tide, bringing with it the musty smell of algal bloom. When the moon shone through the cast-iron lattice of the Haypenny Bridge, it looked like a magical structure, a gateway between the worlds. Leah was suddenly aware of how cold it was in this part of the room. Here I am, she thought, looking at the moon with Ethan Blake. Almost miraculously, Ethan Blake had emerged from the lunar controversy with his reputation intact. The disease, now known as Moon Plague, was caused by a hitherto unknown virus with an extraordinarily long incubation period. Following investigations, it emerged that the contagion had reached the moon colony in the bodily fluids of a Colombian scientist. Within days, media attention shifted to outbreaks of Moon Plague in Bogota. Moon Plague was disease X, the deadly virus long predicted by epidemiologists. It was thought to be a species jumper, but nobody really knew. Its symptoms were generic, heralded by fever and chills. There was no vaccine and no cure. The syndicate currently in control of the Colombian capital had not announced how the potential pandemic had been contained, but whole tracts of the city had been destroyed by fire. Human rights activists maintained that infected districts had not been evacuated, but there was no direct evidence of genocide, and, since the demise of the newspaper industry, it was hard to tell the difference between real news and fake. The moon plague had only just been contained when it was eclipsed, at least in terms of media coverage, by an even more devastating event, worldwide crop failure, the long-term consequence of the cloud-seeding compound known as rainfall. While no one ever claimed that rainfall was the cure for climate change, it was widely believed that it had the capacity to stabilise fluctuating weather patterns until wider policy changes began to take effect. It was composed of innocuous minerals and extensively tested to reveal no toxic effects on any species. That was still the case. The trouble was that some species really, really liked it. 
and they weren't the sort of species that needed encouragement. It was years before the extent of the damage emerged, and by that time it was far too late. Invasive species were on the rampage, the crops had failed, and the lakes were smothered under a blanket of algal bloom. But it wasn't until the cattle died that people began to wake up to the consequences of rainfall. The fields were as green as they ever were, carpeted with a plant that looked and apparently tasted like grass, but was no more nutritious than astroturf. The pastures could no longer support livestock. Nobody, Leah reflected, was using the phrase extinction event, but it was hard to get it out of her head. Beside her, Ethan Blake gazed skyward at the ruination of his colonial dream. Given the global food shortages that followed in its wake, the loss of the moon colony seemed comparatively small, but 2,000 people had died. It broke my heart, he said, reading her thoughts. I had hoped to create a safe place, a repository of sorts, should the situation on Earth become untenable. Leah wrapped her arms around herself. What was it like up there? Empty and cold. You have so much survival gear that you don't really get a sense of it. But it has also occurred to me that the technology developed for survival in an alien environment could be used closer to home. I am afraid that this may become necessary sooner than we expect. He turned towards her, making eye contact for the first time. When conditions deteriorate, I want to bring my family home to Carmoyle. Ethan Blake's dark hair was still tousled from the rain and his skin was pale in the blue screen light. With the room spread out like a movie set behind him, he looked like the romantic lead in a sci-fi thriller. Leah's heart raced. He is very beautiful, she thought, and realised that this was something of which he was entirely and unscrupulously cognizant. He held her gaze for a moment longer, then withdrew an oblong package from his coat pocket. This is a gift, he said, a prototype. It will help us keep in touch. He placed the package on the table. Leah saw him down to the street. Ethan Blake bowed in the doorway with Japanese formality. If you will excuse my saying so, he said. I think that you should believe in yourself more. You are a very important person. And he allowed his aura to expand, enveloping her in a warmth so intense that it was almost palpable. Then he walked out into the night. Leah looked after him. His charisma clung to her like droplets of rain. This isn't just about the house at Carmoyle, she thought. He's after something. Alone again, she pulled her sleeping bag up to the window. These were the hours that she usually spent online, trawling through chat rooms and missing person forums. Tonight she lacked the will to continue the hitherto fruitless search. Her brother had vanished without a trace. Ronan Lawless, she thought. Where are you now? She sat for a long time in the moonlight looking out over Dublin's diseased and broken heart. Mm -hmm.